Hello, friends. This is Dave Pasquillan with the Remarkable People Podcast, and I am excited to bring you an episode with three really unique hooks. Number one, it's our first interview with two guests. Number two, it's the last interview of the season. We're going to have more episodes and special podcasts, but it's the last episode of season one with guests. And number three, the interview was so good, we actually booked our guests today for season two to continue their story. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and foes, it's my pleasure and honor to bring you season one, episode 19, The Mike and Maria Dimmick Story. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat. For life. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank yeah. you for having us, Dave. Uh, oh, having you. Man, thanks for having me. I don't know if you remember this. And for the listeners, how Mike and Marie and I met is I was at college, completely out of my element. I'm from the North, in the South. So my whole background's Italian, Portuguese, Spanish, you know, everything that made America great, Mexican, Puerto Rican. And I was down in the Deep South. And we went to Pensacola Christian College. I went there. You were a melted pot with two legs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. And when I came down, there was formal, like, functions they have there quite regularly. They call them fine art series. And you go usually with a date. And I'm like, man, I need flowers. Where do I go? And the word on the street was, Mrs. Dimmick had the best flowers in town. And sure enough, she did. So do you remember that? You remember me coming over the first... I sure do. You were the sweetest kid, and you stayed here forever. (laughs) (laughs) I remember you asking about what the best flowers were, and I didn't know who you were going with, but it sounded to me like you were very interested. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, and when I say, if you picture a beautiful home, and then picture that beautiful home literally filled with flowers... And a garage that was its own greenhouse filled with flowers. That's what we walked into. It was the most fragrant house I've ever smelled. (laughs) And so, but Mrs. Dimmick, and then I met Mike, and they welcomed me into their home. And then you guys came, like, really, we became super close, like my campus parents. Mm -hmm. And you'd invite me over to your house for dinner, and we'd hang out. And I had some place to go to keep me sane when I was homesick. (laughs) So thank you very much. And then it come circle. I don't know if you remember this, Mike. But I ended up going a year of engineering, then I switched my major to marketing, and I got married my junior year of college. And because I switched my major, I went on the five-year plan, yet I'm not a doctor. And I ended up needing a job. And I walked into what was then Gateway Computers. I didn't even realize you worked there. I thought you were still at a different establishment. And you were one of the managers. Mm -hmm. And I walk in with my resume at a junior in college. And I remember that God... I said, I got this guy. (laughs) Yeah, it worked out. And that ended up being a great career, man. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, Mike... He was just speaking about you yesterday. I was just sharing your testimony with with a bunch of people uh, that I remember your sales were off the chart. And people were saying, well, how come Dave's sales are up so high? I said, well, why don't you ask him? 
And they said, why don't you just tell me? I said, no, at the next sales meeting, uh, why don't you just go ahead and ask why his sales are so high? And right. I, hey, just so you know, as a listener, I don't know where he's going with this. We'd have That's no prior the discussion. Of this. Yeah, this is unscripted, so I'm getting a little blushing and scared. Yeah, this is good. This is good. I mean, if I can share this story with everybody that I meet, uh, why not? What I didn't want to say to them, and I wanted to wait until uh, the sales meeting, was what, what Dave used to do is he would come on in and go into the back by the warehouse, and uh, you'd always see Dave back there praying. Of course, I knew what he was doing. I didn't even have to ask him. But during the staff meeting, when they said, okay, so Dave, how come your sales are almost twice as much as any other person? What Dave said was this, this job is so easy. Computers are so easy to sell. And he said, I'm just asking God not to let me take advantage of, he said, the little old ladies that all they want to do is play solitaire and do back then little clip art things and send their grandkids little, little cards. And he said, they just don't need a $4,000 computer. Unlike some of, at that time, a lot of the military kids coming on in buying these big gaming machines back then. He said, all they need is just these smaller units to meet their needs. And he was just praying that he would never take advantage. And I believe that God honored that and just showed favor by uh, making his sales so incredibly high. And uh, that came out in the training meeting. Of course, I couldn't say that, but uh, but he could. <laughs> yeah, and that was a great, thank God you were there. Because I remember there was one specific instance where, like, the district manager was asking us for how we're doing it. We were sharing it. We got to, like, put together promotions, you and me, mm-hmm. for the national level. That's right. I remember uh, Ted Wade actually liked some of yeah. our ideas yeah. and invited me to join the, the corporate office. It's but I said it. no, because I didn't want to move to the Midwest or right. California. <laughs> But it was nice having you there as a buffer because it was one point where I'm, I don't know if you remember this, but it was the AMD Intel battle. Yes. More profit off AMD. The but team. Intel at that point was better unless you were gaming. That's right. And they said, you need to sell Intel. I mean, yeah, they said, you need to sell AMD. Right. And I'm like, I'll sell who needs it, what? Yeah. And they're like, no, you'll sell AMD. And this wasn't Tedway. It was just That's right. the local pressure. Right. And I said... Hey guys, I love you. Thanks for the job. Have a great day. And I remember you just sat there and smiled, yeah. and the other two managers yeah. grabbed me like, "No, no, no, okay, yeah, yeah. so whatever you want. Have a good yeah. day." Yeah. And but I mean, if I didn't have you there praying and backing me up, that never would have happened. So I thank you. So, anyways, that's kind of how Mrs. Dimmick and I met. A good relation with Mike mm-hmm. and then his kids. They're going to tell you their story, and they have a remarkable story. So I'm going to kind of just summarize a little bit today. Mike and Maria are happily married after all these years, and they have their 47. own journey. Not easy. 47? 47 years. Woo! 50's the big one, right? Yeah, coming up. He's got up. some bling coming. Good. Here we go. Here we you go. earned it, too. Uh-huh. But no, they have a remarkable story. It goes deep. It goes wide. And it is inspiring. But Mike today, he's a minister at Olive Baptist Church at the Warrington campus, He's the military pastor and in charge of pastoral care. And because of their story, which you're about to hear, that he can connect with pretty much anyone. And Maria, likewise, I love Mrs. Dimmick. You'll hear me. I might make a mistake. You'll hear three different (laughs) names I might call her, but it's all Mrs. Dimmick, Maria. But she is the sweetest, most inviting woman, and she has full of love and her children. I'm friends with them all. And that's a blessing in all other episodes we could do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we're going to transition into why don't you guys just tell your story? Start wherever you see fit, go as God leads. And the form of the show is always you, you tell your story, pick out things that you feel led. There are significant challenges you had to work through and how you work through in the practical steps so the listeners 
can also overcome and achieve. And then from that point, we'll transition to where you are today and maybe how we can help you guys. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, Mike. So you're the man. You start. Here we go. And if you're a sexist listening, tough luck. Here here we go. (laughs) Men need to be leaders. Men and women are equal. There is no better, no worse. But as men, our role is to be a leader. So Mike, take the road. Here we go. Hey, uh, I grew up in Venice Beach, California, and I'm a product of a the late 60s, early 70s. It was just fun growing up on the Venice Beach Boardwalk. It's not like how it is today when I grew up over there. And I came from a broken home. My home was uh, not a home that a lot of good things would happen in. There was drugs in the home. There was uh, lifestyles in the house. Just many, many, many people coming into the home at that time. Our house with, with various types of dealings going on. And as a kid watching this, Sometimes it just didn't seem like it was a safe place sometimes. You'd wake up and just didn't know who was out in the other room or what they were doing. So hanging out at the beach was just a safe place all the time. And and then about 14 years old, somebody really important came into my, my life, and uh, my wife, Maria. And my mom was a patient in a hospital, and she happened to be working there at the hospital. And I thought she was a nurse. I mean, here I was thinking that I was going to... You know, I mean, I was 14. She looked like she was 18. And so I thought, look at this. And it was just so funny because I remember I was with my brother when I saw her. I told my younger brother, I said, look at this girl outside by the counter. Look at her. Well, as my brother looked, for some reason, she had to walk away from the counter. And there was a another woman standing behind the counter that looked like me, me in a dress. And, uh, so he looked at her and looked at me and said, are you feeling okay? I go, look at her. I mean, look at this girl. And like a young Sophia Loren, right? And uh, he looks again and somehow she bent back down behind the counter to pick up a chart or something like that. And, and there was uh, the warden looking at him like, who are you looking at? And so that went about three or four times and I just said, look, she's right there and you know, then when he saw her, of course, uh, he wished that he was 14. I think he was, he was 10 at the time. But, nice. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, I mean, it was love at first sight. At least that's what she said. And uh, All right, well, let's do this. Not- I, I want to pause the story for one second because that noise just reminded me. If you're listening today, I want to share something about the Dimmicks. Ah. I told you that they were warm and loving people. And that is not an exaggeration. As long as I've known them since 1997. 23 years, you guys have always had the most open door policy I've ever seen. I've never once been to your home where people weren't here, not once. I've never not been to your home when people weren't staying with you. They, they are loving people that care for people and true charity, love and action. And right now, as we're speaking, there will be noise. And there will probably be phone calls and people walking in. And we're going to adapt and overcome but that's just the kind of home they have. And as we're speaking, they're building another addition to their home in the back so they can house more people and give people who need a break a place to be, a place to be still and a place to be cared for. And that's just the heart. So I'll let them again. We're going to go through the past, the present sure. and the future. But that was one uh, public service announcement I want to make. Mm-hmm. Number two, Mike, you brought us up to this point. I want you, Maria, now to bring us your side, how you got to that hospital, and then we'll go back to Mike 
discussing where he's at. And again, Shit. just so the listeners know, if you've listened to the other 18 episodes, this is our first group podcast. So this, if there's any flaw, my fault 100%, not theirs. So I apologize. But Mrs. Dimmick, please take it away. Well, what he has said was pretty much the same for me. Came from a very dysfunctional home. My mom literally stole her children from our father who really didn't didn't care for the children. He just wanted her. And so she took us when I was very young and there were nine of us. And as a single mother, she was the greatest example of a sacrificial uh, woman. And she raised us, all of us, all her children, have never been in jail, never drugs, no stealing, all businesses, and just a wonderful woman. But there was no father there. And as a 13-year-old, I had to be sent to the United States from Mexico. And I came to California, where a nurse pretty much adopted me and trained me to be a nurse's aide in this private hospital. I learned English and began to translate for doctors and patients. And as Michael said, his mother was my patient. And so she kept telling me she had this great son that was dying to meet me, which she was just plain matchmaker. And she ended up staying there for quite a while. And so one day Michael came in, I did not see him, but I could see his shoes behind a curtain. And I said, <laughs> Anna, I said, you don't have a son. I think you're just teasing me. So he pulled the curtain back and he just waved a little wave. And well, he had just, I can't picture him being shy. <laughs> he had just had his hair cut and he had a beanie on it because he was into all the sports at that time in high school. And the coach for the football team said, you have to cut your hair. Cut your locks. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was a little shy about how he looked that day. But no, he does not have a shy bone in his body. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was shocked. About. That's right. I am behind a curtain. It was, it's true. I don't know that I believe that phrase about love at first sight. I don't think there is such thing, but there is lust at first sight. <laughs> and I think that's really what it was at that time. But, you know, I believe that God can use that attraction to give us time to build love between each other. And so basically that's what happened. I was 15 years old. I'm eight months older than him. He always tells people I robbed the cradle. <laughs> and uh, he was 14 years old. He he asked me to go bowling with him that first day. And I said, yes. So what does a 14-year-old boy have for transportation? Yeah, He had a bike. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> and so he took a pillow from his mother and we went to the bowling alley. But the bowling alley was... Close for remodeling. I had a little twelve speed, so I just turned the handlebars up and put a little uh, pillow. Yeah, a little pillow from my couch on there. Sat her on that. Had her lean back in my arms, and I mean, we traveled from Santa Monica to Malibu, Pacific Palisades. Uh, we Culver City, yes. and we traveled all of L.A. You on that pillow That's on that right. bike. I mean, I was putting in fifty miles. 
you know, a day just driving you around because I didn't have any money. Probably the best ride of your life, though, right? It was. It was just great, man. I mean, I had a great view yeah. of the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you haven't been to California, I mean, you're talking like you got the ocean, oh, yeah. you got some sand, and then you have the, oh, yeah. the path. Yeah. And you can just go literally town to town on that. It was yes. just great. I mean, it's just that was my only mode of transportation. Yeah. And it was yeah. a great time. Yeah, and you can drive extra between having a beautiful woman with you and being on that sunset right. strip. Woo! I, I actually am a fat old guy, and when I run, I run an extra mile when I'm out there. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I mean, this is back in the days when uh, you could take find bottles and cash them in at the store, and as I run around the bike, I go, there's a bottle. Let's go get it. There's another bottle. Let's go get it. So we could buy a drink. Yeah. And share a Coke. But back in the day, it was like, I didn't, you know, at 13, 14, 15... I didn't really have a job, and it was I was living off of bottles, picking up trash, doing environmental beautification. Right? Exactly, <laughs> we were helping the environment. That's right. I remember me and my kid, me and my kids, me and my friends when we were growing up. If we wanted to go to the pool, yeah, fifty cents a person. Yeah. Okay, that's ten cans. That's right. If we want to buy an Alexander the Great, that's twenty five more. So we're doing that's the math. Right. They we had to walk around our oh, neighborhood yeah. and pick up all the trash until oh, we get yeah. that many cans for each of us, and then we cash it in, go to the pool. Absolutely. If not, and the pool when you get there, you didn't swim; you stood in yeah. water. Yeah. But but yeah, so that's awesome. That's so cool. All right, so do. you're in the hospital. You meet so, this beautiful woman, and girl. At that yes. point, fourteen and fifteen. I mean, I walk her out, and just accidentally, as we're walking out of the hospital, my hand hits her hand, and I'm thinking, "Okay, sure, I've never had a girlfriend." And before. hand meeting mom. Mom. No, just But once I grabbed her hand, I just said, "Okay." You know, are you going to pull away and go, ew, or are you going to hold? And I just said, well, I'm going in. You know, so I held her hand, and we've been holding it ever since. Okay. He actually asked me if I minded, and no, I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, one thing for sure, and not a joke at all, is the first day we went out on this little bike ride, we went to a park, and I told her, I just said, listen, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how this works or whatnot, but one day I'm going to marry you. And I said, not, I'm not sure how this is going to happen, but one day you're going to be my wife. And uh, look what God did. And how long was that into your relationship? Uh, that was the first day. A few day. hours? A few, first day? <laughs> that was the first day. Well, he told ah. his brother, he said, when he was trying to get him to look at me, he told him, I'm going to marry that girl. Mm-hmm. Sure did. <laughs> now you see why it's going to be a great episode, friends. You got single-minded, and that's a good thing. Well, at 16 years old, she had to go back home to Mexico. My mom got sick. Her mom got sick, and I never thought I was going to see her again. Actually, so. let me pause the story because I do want clarification. Oh, sure. When you moved here, how old were you? I was 13. You were 13 when you moved mm-hmm. here. And then when you came to America at 13, did your brothers and sisters come or no, just you? I was alone. And do you mind me asking why did they send just you? Well, when my mother was 13 years old, she was raped by a pedophile. Mm. And she got pregnant and her first son, who was my half-brother, was also a pedophile. And so he molested me and my mother, trying to keep me from him, sent me to her friends in the United States. Wow. So it was true love to sacrifice the relationship to protect you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now... You go with this story how you want, but we have people from all walks of life, Absolutely. all places, all yes. situations, all countries. Right. You can talk about how you felt coming to America because this country is built on immigration. My yes. family's from Italy. All my friends are from Italy or Portugal back mm-hmm. home. And the thing is, like, 
at the same time you were raped. So how did you deal with that? Like you talk about whatever you want, but people listening may be in the same situation. They haven't recovered. Absolutely. And you know, this is, this is something that happens on a daily basis to people everywhere. Sadly. Yes. It's, it's, it's a painful thing that happens, but somehow God was always there. When I was a child, when I was molested at first, I remember having dreams of Jesus Christ and he was protecting me. And, and so as, as I got sent to the United States, I was a kid. I was scared. Mm-hmm. I was lonely. You know, I cried every night for my mom. I wanted my mom, you know, as most children do. They want the safety of a loving parent. And, and that's what I wanted. I, I toughened up. You know, I, I figured I can't have her. I can't go home and, and I'm going to be here by myself. So through a few experiences with different people that I worked for, it didn't turn out good. I guess, you know, youth is its own beauty. It's not that I'm a beautiful person. But as a child, I, I, I was. Yeah, me too. Inside and out, you're a beautiful hey. person. Hey. I, you know, it's it's hard as a child when when you're looked at as an object, and so that's what it was. But I didn't understand that I was a child, mm-hmm. and so eventually, I ended up working for this hospital through a friend of a friend, and ended up making enough money, not much, but enough to have my own apartment. And so within a few months, about five months of coming to the United States, I ended up in my own apartment and a job at this hospital where I met Michael. But at first I worked in the laundry room, folding Mm -hmm. linens. And the nurse that used to train all the, the nurses' aides, she saw something in me. I know that it was God leading her. Mm-hmm. And so she said, you're too good for the laundry room. I'm going to train you and you are going to be a nurse's aide. And so she did. And, wow. and I, you were in your teens at that point. I was, I was still 13. And OSHA yes. wasn't involved back then, no, even no. in California. <laughs> oh no, It wasn't like fun conditions, everyone. If you don't, if you've never worked hard labor, that's not fun. Yeah. That's hot, no. hard labor, long hours. I made a dollar and 65 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. But That's this girl has an exceptionally high IQ. I couldn't even spell IQ. And, uh, <laughs> That's not so true. E Y E. So I mean, but so people saw more than in her than what she saw in herself. And yeah. well, I'm just thankful, you know, that God was there to protect and to guide and to bless me, because that's what He did, even when I didn't know Him as my Savior. Mm. You know, He was there. And so I I worked there, met Michael, and then... You fell in love. <laughs> and then when he came to Mexico, I'll hand that over to him because he remembers that more than I do. Oh, how can I? I mean, <laughs> she left in, what, you were 16. Yeah. I never thought I was going to see her again. And so about three weeks after she had left, I told my mom, I said, I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> And she goes, Mike, you're not going to Mexico. And my relationship back then with my parents was I wasn't asking for permission. 
Uh, I used to hitchhike all over California, all over California in summer times. And I mean, my thumb got me all over the world, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, different world now, different right? world, yes. right? Different world. But man, oh man, you know, it, it was just, uh, see the world with, with your thumb. You know? And so, but it was to get out of my house, yeah. you know, to get away from the environment that I was in. But my mom said, how are you going to find her? And I had these five letters from her. And I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cross the border and I'm going to find people that can speak English. And I'm going to show them these five letters. The grand plan. The grand plan (laughs) at 16, right? And I said, I'm going to cross the border and just go, do you speak English? Do you speak English? Can you tell me how to get here? How do I get here? How do I get here? And I figured in my mind, if five people told me the same thing, then I wasn't going to be knocked on my head. And what Mm -hmm. are they going to take from me? You know, I'm 16 years old looking for bottles to cash in, right? So, and so my mom goes, are you really going to do this? I said, mom, I just want you to know. I, I don't know when I'm going to be back, but I got to find her. And so my mom just goes, I'm leaving mom. Bye. And she goes, I'll take you. Mike, I'll take you. So off we went. Nice. Well, we went down into Mexico and I crossed the border and I started finding people that could speak English. I showed them the letters and one thing led to another. And I remember her telling stories about the colonias where she lived. And all of a sudden, off I went, and I said, wait a minute, there's the school that she was talking about, the escuela. And then I said, oh, there's the baños, you know, the, the, the mm. like the public showers out there. And it, there's a little tortilla factory that she said is right next to the baños. And I said, <laughs> I, I got to be getting closer. And I kind of felt like Clint Eastwood in one of those old spaghetti westerns. You know, I mean, I was the only gringo walking up this, you know, dirt road with all these potholes in there, wearing shorts on, which you just didn't do uh, back then living over there. And But I just have to find her. I'm looking at these landmarks that she used to tell me about as a kid. And, and all of a sudden I said, well, there's the house. Because she said right across the street from her house, there was a lady that had all these bird cages. And I saw it. And I said, Mom, that's got to be the place. I We pull up in the car. And there she is standing with her mom, and just bare dirt, dusty dirt, no grass, no nothing. But they each had this little pan of water, and they're just throwing water on the dirt. And I said, what are they growing, rocks? I mean, what are they, what's out here? There's nothing out here. And But what they were doing is they were just taking water from dishes and things like that, and uh, they were just sprinkling the water on the dirt to keep the dust from blowing inside the house. Ah, gotcha. and Kind of like when you go to a rodeo, they wet the dirt like so that. it stays packed. Like wet in the dirt. And so she looked at me. She goes, what are you doing here? And I said, come here for a second. Come here. And I said, look at your mom. And I turned her around. And she goes, well, what are you doing? I said, just look at your mom. And I had met her mom about two times when she visited out in California. And I said, I want you to look at your mom and just tell your mom this. Don't change a word. Look at your mom. And then I said, Mrs. Lopez, I said, if I was 18, I graduated from high school I said, I had a good job with good benefits. Could I marry your daughter? So she looked at me. She goes, what? I said, I'm not asking you. I'm asking your mom. So she looked at her mom and, you know, I didn't speak Spanish then. I barely speak it now. But all I heard was a... But I remember her mom pausing and looking at me. And I heard those famous words. Yo creo que si. And... I didn't know what that meant, but I saw the nod of the yes. Yeah, I believe I would. And so I looked at her and I said, okay, I'll see you in two years. And I turned 18 on July 28th. We got married July 30th. 
and I went into Air Force basic training on August 2nd, and we've been together ever since. That's right. And while he was gone, he was gone for three months, came back for a little while, and went back for another three months. During that time, I believe love had grown, and I was so depressed. All I wanted to do was fall asleep and not wake up until he came home. You know, I just didn't want to be without him. And, you know, love does grow if you give it a chance. And if you consider each other, because we are all selfish, but when we love, we must love the other person more than ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we get married and we join the Air Force and I whisk her away from all the family and everything that we've ever known to be kind of home. And off we go to Germany. We lived there for about five years, but it was a great make or break time for us because we had no friends. We had no family. By the time we were 20, we had two kids, and mm-hmm. it was just, well, there's nothing else to do in Germany at that time. <laughs> and so, But we had two kids, and it was nobody to tell us how to be parents. We had no parental supervision, and we just figured it out. And it was just, uh, I mean, hard to believe this was the day before all the electronics, all this mm-hmm. other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had TV that was only on six hours a day. You actually had to write a letter with a pen and yes. paper. With a pen and paper. Maybe even a pencil. <laughs> right, right. Cursive. Cursive. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. In two languages. Yeah, in two languages. <laughs> but yeah, we just figured it out. And we just yeah. learned to grow and trust each other on that. And, and it was super uh, easy, right? No problems. <laughs> Absolutely easy. Yeah. How do you do this? How do you do that? And, and actually, really, I think it's great to get married and to be away from family because... It bonds you closer together. Yes. Uh, Being overseas really is a special experience because you don't have even neighbors that you can trust or that you are familiar with. And so you become a lot closer to one another because you're dependent on each other for everything. So any kind of problem, you have to solve it. You don't go without communication because you're it. You yes. know, you're, you learn how to deal with conflict because you ex- have to. You can't run to mommy or exactly, daddy. Exactly, exactly. And so when we lived there, it was a great time. It really was. But, you know, looking back, I also believe that when people ask us, how have you made it for 47 years? Well, it's actually already uh, 50 because we've known each other since 1969, mm-hmm. you know, so, and been together since. February 22nd. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, the, the, the important part really is a matter of helping each other. I think when people get married, they have a lot of expectations, but we were children. So really we had no expectations. We didn't really understand what a marriage was. It was just being friends living together. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you basically... With one great benefit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best yeah. friends with one awesome benefit. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, I think, the the key to having a great relationship is not to have expectations mm-hmm. because we're not entitled to them. You know, we mm-hmm. really learn to, to get to know each other and then, again, you know, to sacrifice self for another. What was really funny, some of you will laugh at this, those of you that are a little bit older, you know, my job was sometimes 
you fly away in a helicopter, carry a gun every day, and doing some fun stuff, wild, crazy stuff. In uh, GI uh, Joe, G- <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so the the people that had influence on me weren't really guys that I really put a lot of value in. Yeah, I'd go to war with them. I, I absolutely, but probably not the guys that I wanted hanging around and be around my kids. And and mind you, this is way before you know God ever came into my life. And so you know, we didn't become Christians until we were 36 years old. So so in this formative years at 20 years old, just wasn't sure how to do all this. But here comes the big laugh factor. There was a TV show on. And we would watch this TV show. It used to come on on Friday nights in Germany. And it was just a perfect show about a family, a husband and wife. And they had four kids and three daughters and a boy. And... And I used to watch that show every day because just to watch the dad and because the dad loved his country, he loved his wife and his kids, and he loved his community and he loved church and all. And in his TV show, you could see all of that in every episode. There was a moral value in there. And if any of you guys are scratching your heads thinking, what TV show show could that be? When I say it, some of you are going to go, oh, yeah. That show was Little House on the Prairie. Mm. There was yeah. no cussing, no drinking, no this, no that. And it was just a great show for a, a husband's relationship. I mean, I looked at it for me in my personal life, where here's a guy that just loved every aspect of being, you know, the husband, the dad, involved in the community, and everything that I longed to do, because I never had it growing up. And so I would just watch it and watch it. But the important thing to me was it was actually based off the memoirs, the diary of a daughter that really loved her dad. And I just thought, you know, that's what I would have wanted my kids to do for me, would have something like that, that they would love their parents like that. So that was the show that really got us through those five years over there, I think, helped us put things in perspective. And it wasn't Hollywood. It wasn't, you know, Michael Landon, but it was just the premise of it. Of Could I do this and apply it to my life? Uh, would my eyes only be for her? My, my, you know, just the things that I do. Could I be involved and let it have purpose and meaning? And again, there was no religious value to it at all. It was just, you know, default to be good, look good, act good. That's what you default to. It's funny you say it because a lot of people, we get in these boxes and we say, oh, you can do this or this is right and this is wrong. And I think everybody would agree. There's good TV in this bad quote, good TV and quote, sure, bad sure, TV. Yeah. The internet can be good or bad, sure. you know, but, and I think it's even safe to say this majority of it can be negative and cause problems. Sure. So, but I'm like you, there was TV shows or just secular TV shows. I didn't grow up with a dad. Mm-hmm. You didn't grow up with functioning families. Right. And that wholesome television that used to be on mm-hmm. literally helped to say, Oh, this is how you interact or this is how you handle things. Mm-hmm. So it really did help form us. And yes. as the generations are changing, it's forming us poorly now. Sure. Right. But back then, I, I think we can both say that we had good sure. media sure. to help form us. I remember learning to shave off of TV. Sure. Oh, yeah. Because I had no dad. And I remember watching him and I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. Yeah. And the weird stuff and how to be a husband and a father. Yeah. So. Little House in the Prairie, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I wave the flag all the time thinking, you know, I mean, you got me through uh, my beginning years until I settled down being me, you know, and didn't have to read a diary of anybody else. Yeah, I remember there was a, t- I don't know if you guys remember, there was a TV show 
And all I remember was a guy who adopted a kid. And oh. he, he just loved that kid. I think it was an American guy who adopted yes. an Asian kid. Uh, yeah, I can help you with that. Do you remember <laughs> was, the name? Yes, I do. Because I used to watch it. The Courtship of Eddie's Father. Yes. Thank yes. you. Boy, I am I dating myself. Jeez. <laughs> That's okay. But I remember watching that show. I wish I had a dad who loved me like uh, that. I was, as a kid, yes. I was the same way. Yeah. and I, But it made me think, well... I can be that dad. Yeah. And I yeah. hope my kids think that about me, you know? Yeah. Right. But the thing is, yeah, it's crazy how That's our generation. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we went from no TV to black and white to, right. you know, UHF to VHF right. to, that. wow, a remote control that goes up or down. Sure. Before, you know, we were the remote control. <laughs> yeah. Get up, get down. Go get it. And then now we have 382 channels, mm. 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. seven Put days a week. Put the tinfoil around the rabbit ears to get better reception. <laughs> yeah. Or move it. <laughs> One of you would take turns holding the game. That's right. You want right. to watch something, you have to hold it outside the window. Yeah. That's right. I remember climbing on the roof, actually, the old antennas. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, I was like, so, turn it again. Hey, it's not coming in. Turn it. I'll, Stay right there. But it's lightning out. I don't care. We need to watch this. Yeah. We, we can lose you, but don't oh, don't let us miss this episode. Stuff. They good didn't have stuff. DVR back then and streaming. No, they didn't. They All right. didn't. All right. We've derailed, but in a good way. Oh, great, great All right. Way. So you're bringing it back together you're in germany you're growing mm-hmm. you have two kids mm-hmm. talk about your kids right two now daughters. two daughters beautiful yes. daughters well just before we go on to talk about them i want to say that even though michael was looking at charles singles as a model for being a father i believe that inside of him was the dad that my children needed because even just a week ago my daughter and I were talking about him, and Uh-oh. and I said, yeah, I didn't tell you this, Uh-oh. but um, <laughs> she's my our oldest daughter, Wendy, Wendy Robin, and she is an awesome, awesome, awesome image of her father. She's beautiful. Yeah, uh, thank she, God she doesn't look like yeah. that. <laughs> just like, me with long hair? No. <laughs> no. She's beautiful, Scary. but really, character-wise, they're both so much alike, personality-wise, they really are so much alike. And we were talking about him as a father. And I said, you know, your daddy was such a good dad. She said, no, mommy. She said, he was a great dad. And I believe that all four of our children would agree with that. We have three now, two daughters and a son. And our daughter was required of God. So we lost her um, about 25 years ago. But I'll, I'll, I'll let him tell about that. Why do you always give me the hard part? <laughs> because you're the man and you can yeah. leave. <laughs> Good thing they can't see tears over a microphone, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just, it was great. I love being a dad. Still do. And, yes, uh, just, he does. Uh, and what's better than being a dad? Being a grandfather and a grandmother. <laughs> and being a great dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. A great grandfather. I don't want to skip the process, but I am loving the idea of grandkids. Oh, yeah. Just tell oh, me about goodness. before this episode how much you enjoy yours. Oh, yeah. my goodness. They are the life in, in our life. <laughs> all right so it's just fun i mean people at the church they always go i can't believe how all these kids run over to you and they just they just well that's because i run after them first you know and uh, <laughs> just love kids and maybe for those of you and, and unfortunately you know there's some of you that wear the same t-shirt and you've lost the child and so it just makes life more meaningful when you're around children when when one is taken from you and you just kind of uh 
go, okay, you know, I just want to make sure I have real special time with those that are around me. And in the Bible also says, suffer not the little ones. Jesus said to come to me. And if I'm supposed to be modeling myself after him, then let the kids come to me. Let the kids come to me. And I just love it. I absolutely love it. Enjoy it so much. But let's not get too far ahead because there's so much that we must tell because God was present every step of our lives. When mm-hmm. when we came back from Germany, having two children, we then had two more five years after the first two. And so we had another girl, a third girl, and then our son, Michael. Mm-hmm. And, you know, during during our time as young parents, it was it was easy because our children were more like our friends and so we were kind of children raising children mm-hmm. and uh, in fact for a very long time until we actually became Christians our kids called us by our first name wow yeah, yeah. yeah it was never <laughs> mommy or daddy it was always mike and maria or mike and connie you yep. know, Con- there's a third name <laughs> i don't want to say it if you know what yes <laughs> well, the reason he calls me Connie is because the first time we met, he asked me what my name was. Oh, boy. And I said, my name is Maria Concepcion Lopez Becerra. And he said, what? I said, Maria Concepcion Lopez Becerra. He said, how about Connie for short? <laughs> well, I heard Concepcion, and it sounded like Conception. I said, I'm not going to call you Conception. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call you Connie. <laughs> and it's stuck. So it's stuck. Yes. And speaking of Conception, my son was our vasectomy baby. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so it just goes to show you that you're not in control. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, as many people probably can identify, in those days, people wanted two children, a dog, in a white picket fence house. The American you know, dream. The American the dream. dream. And so, you know... Um, Coming from a very large family, I didn't have those ideas, but my husband did. And so... Because you were from Mexico. uh, With four names before you got married. (laughs) (laughs) So he actually um, went and he sought out to get a vasectomy when when he was only 24 years old, 25. And this is after three daughters. No, that was after two. two children. Oh, after two daughters. So, oh, okay, okay. So, but but the doctor uh, said I was too good looking to. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> so in in Europe, in, especially in our in our base at the time, the commander had to sign off on mm-hmm. any on surgery. That sur- yeah. Well, yeah. on that particular surgery too, and that was because as a young man, he didn't really want kids, and so he had a son. And he decided to have a vasectomy, and his son was killed by a car accident. Mm. And so he did not allow anyone, you know, under a certain age to, to have one. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. to be sterilized. I actually, I mean, so, I don't, I agree with that personally. Yeah. But yeah. So, so if we, you don't, we and you're left, listening, I'm sorry. We can agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so we left uh, Germany, and I went to California to visit family. And he went to his next base, which was in Plattsburgh, New York. And so he called me up really excited. And he said, guess what? I just went to the doctors and they're going to do the vasectomy. And I said, well, that's a good thing. I said, because today I went to the doctors (laughs) and and I'm pregnant. (laughs) And so we had our third daughter Uh and she was six months along. She was six months old. And I was, you know, on a diet, trying to lose weight, getting back in shape. And my, I was losing weight, but 
my midriff was getting bigger. And so we thought, oh, no, you have cancer. <laughs> and so we went to the doctor and the doctor said, no, you don't have cancer. You're just pregnant. <laughs> we thought like, well, of course, he looked at me like, hey, you know, I had that surgery a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, you better have that thing checked. <laughs> and the doctor said, yes, yeah, sir. You still have fish in your pond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surgery reversed itself. Yeah. Yes. Just... Yes, it did. So the third. So we had a son. Yep. And your you know. daughter's name was? Cynthia. 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 And your son is? Michael. There we like go. Like okay. his dad. Yep. Yep. But, so we have Wendy, Vanessa, Cynthia, and Michael. Mm-hmm. And right. Wendy, as I said before, you know, when, when we had her, she was just the perfect child. Perfect child, never cried, always laughing, always smiling, just a sweet, sweet, sweet baby. Well, you really, said she was a lot like me. Beautiful. <laughs> never you said? Yeah. And since you can't see this I'm on sorry, TV, his nose is growing as we speak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, she was very intelligent. And, you know, when you have your first child, many times you have. All the time in the world. Focused attention. So, yeah. So she was potty trained by the time she was nine months old. Yes. And let me tell you, she was just a sweet, sweet baby girl. Uh, then Vanessa came. <laughs> <laughs> Who's also a wonderful girl. But as a child. But. But this girl had a mind of her own. She was not a disobedient child, but she had to have a reason for everything. Focus. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she she did not do anything until you told her exactly why she yeah. must do something. Mm-hmm. And so she is an awesome, awesome mom too. Wendy has five children. She had her first pregnancy. She lost a baby. Then she had twins. So she thought, God gave me, <laughs> give me back one. Mm-hmm. So she had her first twins and they were boys identical twins wow, uh, so awesome. they could never even hear the two hearts they only heard one mm-hmm. and yeah. so for five months they didn't know she had twins wow. you know because yeah. they were in the same sack mm-hmm. and about that time it separated and they were identical <laughs> twins yes and Double so trouble. then afterwards she had three three girls mm-hmm. so if she if she hadn't had two boys we would have all girls. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. And that happens sometimes generations. Mm-hmm. My yes. friends, they had all guys. They were Portuguese. Yes. Oh, boy. Their whole, like, their whole yes. family on all sides, yes. all guys, one girl. Then all the guys of my generation, like, we're all friends, all girls, one boy. Oh, boy. Crazy. It yeah. was crazy. So, yes. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, now you are in your hair. You got... Vanessa, she's yes. like, whoa, okay, oh, yeah. they're not all like that. They're not all like Wendy. No, she is, she's awesome. But they're she both is. awesome in their own oh, way. Yeah, and then yeah. you're raising them in what part of the world now? Um, well, Wendy's in Georgia. Columbus, Georgia. No, 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 I mean, where were you raising them at this point? Are you back oh, in California? We you were in, in California. Okay, okay, that's right. I want to make sure. We so you're were in, in California okay. at that time. And uh, yeah. You were in Monterey, California. Monterey, California. Mm-hmm. We were there for about six years. Mm-hmm. And um, and the two Cynthia and Michael were also uh, in Monterey. They were also there. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just five years apart. The two pairs. Yeah, so like two pairs. Yeah. Okay. Good. Did. Good. Yeah. So we had older ones to take care of the, the younger ones. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> that <laughs> was good. <laughs> but yeah, and then Cynthia. Cynthia was just a sweet, sweet child. 
actually, you know, we don't, we never had any problems. We, we don't necessarily identify greatly with parents who have a lot of troubled children because our kids were very, very pliable. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, there wasn't a lot of conflict in the home. And so they always felt secure. And we always try to focus on teaching them to, to be leaders, mm-hmm. you know, to make up their own minds and not to follow others and to, to be good enough to be followed. And I have to say, God has really blessed us with some great leaders in yes, our absolutely. family. Yeah. And their spouses. Yes. So, I mean, absolutely. you guys are six for six. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. So, uh-huh. so, and then go on with the story, though. So, we, like I said, there's no time to this. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I want to respect your day. So, oh, sure. you're in California. You got four kids now. Yes. And, Mike, you're in and out, like, being deployed, correct? Yeah. No, uh, I... Or are you stationary at this right. point? Right. And this house was pretty stationary. I was working with... A, we didn't talk about your role, but you weren't yeah. counting sheep. Yeah, I weren't counting sheep. <laughs> I was working now kind of with Air Force recruiting and uh, just had a great time with that in Monterey. I remember going to my commander and you know, after graduating, he goes, well, Mike, where do you want to go? And he shows me this map of California. And I remember I asked him, I said, where's the worst place you have? And he goes, what? And uh, I did pretty good at the school. And mm-hmm. so I think he saw something higher for me. <laughs> and I said, where's the worst place you have? And, and worse in the sense of numbers, the enrollment numbers, numbers. The hardest place that... Because you were a recruiter, just for the made. audience. Yep, right. yep. Just for the audience. You know, recruiters have quotas just like everyone sure, else. Sure, sure. And this was in the 80s, right? Right. So mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. Top Gun come out yet? Uh, it, actually, it did while I was in my office. Yeah, That it, was it a did. pivot point for all recruiters across the and globe. it's coming out again. I know, right? Everybody and let me up. tell all the Air Force recruiters out there, when the first one came out, all the Navy recruiters were told to go stand by the movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And they, they let them all back then wear bomber jackets. And so, you know, they said, be ready. Stand outside because everybody's going to want to come up and, and join the Navy. I can't tell you. My goal was probably four a month. And at that time, I was putting in 12 to 14 people a month because they thought it was an Air Force movie. Yep. Thank, thank you, Tom Cruise <laughs> yeah. and, vo- and viewer ignorance. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was the funniest thing. But the sad thing is I didn't get a bomber jacket out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we were down in Monterey. Monterey. Uh, well, I asked him, I said, where's the worst place you have? And he said, Salinas, California. And uh, he said, that's the red dot. It's never made it, ever, ever, ever made it. I said, why not? And he said, well, he said, uh, it's kind of a migrant farm worker town at that time. A lot of people, a large population works out in the fields and just a lot of different dynamics around there back in the early 80s. And he said, it's just always been a very hard area. And I said, I'll take it. And he goes, what? I said, I'll take it. And he goes, but there's all these other places that you can go to. And I said, no. I said, because if I can just beat everything by one, by one person more than what it's ever done in the last eight years, you won't fire me because I've done better than what it's ever done. Right? So just trying to use my my logic on that. And he goes, okay, but I mean, you can go to all these other places that are just so, no, I'll take that one. And uh, that was our home for six years. And and it was wonderful. I ended up making a beautiful place. They had this thing called Rookie Recruiter of the Year. I made that. And then Air Force Recruiter of the Year. I made that. And of course, it wasn't me. I had to 
give credit to where it really goes and just how, how God was there. But still, I didn't even know how to spell God. At that point in life. At that yeah, point in life wasn't part of it. So it pretty much was me, 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 I, I, I. And I did everything and I just hadn't had my eyes open up yet. So when we transition to that, how did you guys come? You have a great family, growing family. How did you come to know God? Sure. My wife. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to one of these Air Force leadership schools and I went down there just to have fun. It was going to be seven weeks, nine weeks or whatever it was, just to have fun. And But while I'm down there, one of the... I don't know what they call them, but one of the seminar leaders said, hey, we want to start meeting in the morning and praying for our folks going through these courses. And I thought, you can't do that. Organized religion, you can't make me do this. You know, the days of before politi- being politically correct, you know, but I thought, well, Mike, maybe you better attend this. You know, so yeah. I sat there and I'd never been involved in any kind of Bible study or anything. I wasn't against it, but I just felt odd. So I showed up in the room and... And at that point, were you believing the lie, the church and state separation? It doesn't mean there's no religion in the state. Mm -hmm. It just means it's not government control. But our public's been brainwashed. Were you part of that brainwashing at that point? Yeah, but the other thing, as far as praying, the only thing I knew how to say was, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. I I just didn't know there was no prayer or anything in, in our lives. Yep. Um, and that's absolutely normal it, it for was. most people at this point. So yeah. I was afraid someone's going to ask me a question, you know, who is Moses? I, I would have said Charlton Heston. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, but I showed up and it was just the neatest thing that these people weren't praying for themselves, but they were actually praying for people who were underneath them. And I had several people underneath me and I just thought this isn't as Bad as I thought. So I'm doing this for seven weeks. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, what was going on with you? Well, I I was a florist and I used to set up florist shops for the supermarkets. And so I had a, a young lady that was working with flowers as well. She was from Korea and she was a Christian. I didn't really know what a Christian was. I just thought I was a Christian because... I believed in God, and and so she invited us to her church, and I kept saying yes, but I never said when. So one day she said, during this time that Michael was gone, she said, Maria, I'm never going to invite you to church anymore. She said, you're going to make me lose the contest. She said, we're having a contest to see who brings the most visitors to church, And the price is a beautiful Bible. And I just looked at her. I said, fine, fine. (laughs) Welcome to church. So Now, I got to ask, right? I don't want to interrupt your story, but was her mentality truly, I want to win the contest, or was she manipulating the situation to to get get that emotional appeal? Oh, good woman. Good woman. You'll hear the rest of the story. Okay, okay, okay. There's a Paul Harvey in here. All right, all right. Go ahead. I just want to make sure. Either way, all things work together. Because I love God. But I was, is she carnal or is she uh, coolie? No. All right, go ahead. So, So I agreed to go. So I went home and I told the children that we were going to go to church. So get ready. And it was a Wednesday. So the girls were trying to figure out an excuse why they couldn't go to church. Mm. And so I didn't take any excuses. I said, we're all going and get ready now. And so we went to church 
And it was very different. I mean, the pastor was teaching, but he was allowing the congregation to ask questions. And it was very interesting to me. It was a little church right outside of Mather Air Force Base, which isn't there anymore. It's part of a base closure right outside of Sacramento, California. Rancho Cordova. uh, Oh, yeah. Right there. Yep. But to go on, whenever you say the word church... Uh-huh. Every one of us listening right now, everybody in the world has an instant image, and it's different for everyone. Oh, yeah. So when you heard church up to this point, yeah. guessing you were Mexican, you had a yeah. Roman Catholic background. Right. So d- we're your image. Cathedrals. Cathedrals <laughs> and very reverent, very right. like fear of God, right? Exactly. You okay. go in, kneeling down, you know. Lighting you, candles. Right. You know. And this was in a strip mall. It was just a flat yeah. building in a strip this mall. Church, professional building. Yeah. <laughs> so this was, is totally different than you've ever oh, seen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So pick up. I just want to, because people yeah. listening, we have people of all religions. We have yeah. people of right. all yeah. countries and walks of yes, life, sure. different ages. Yes. So if you're listening, you're hearing the word church you have a mental image so the image that mike and maria are describing they went from a catholic background to what we commonly refer to as what evangelical at this point right okay so you're in a strip mall going to church no stained glass no million dollar building like a doctor's office (laughs) (laughs) all right pretty much so so it was really an experience that day she won the bible and she gave it to me she gave it to me but and the so, story was so good is when the pastor called her, and her name is Young Weller. Is Young Weller, you won the Bible. You brought more people to the church. It was called the Andrew Contest. You brought more people than anybody else did for the whole month. And the pastor gave this beautiful, beautiful Bible, leather Bible. And when she grabbed it, she kind of just dearly held it to her chest for a second. And then she goes, Maria. Maria, come up here. Maria, Maria. And so she walks out there and she goes, I won this for you. So she and gave it to the me. Bible off to her. So she gave it wow. to me yeah. and we continued to go to church while he was gone. You know, so for graduation, I drove down to come back with him. Or I flew down and you you yeah. had a car yeah. down there. So You're about uh, eight hours away. Yeah. So graduation is over. He took every every award that was available, and and so we started back home. And when we got in the car, he said, "I have something to tell you." And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Me too." I said, "I have something to tell you." <laughs> every time you guys so, have these moments, it's yeah, funny. Yeah. So hey, I'm having surgery. Hey, yeah. I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, all right, go on. I got God. I got a. I got our plan for life. I have yeah. God's will for our life. Yeah, all right, but yeah. go on. So, so he said, "Well, ladies first. You, you." I said, "No, you, you go first. He said, "No, you go, you go." So back and forth. Finally, I started since he insisted. So I told him, I said, "Well, Michael, I said we have been going to this little church with Young Weller." I said, and we were just hoping that that you'd want to come too. So you tell your side of the story. <laughs> and so she goes, yeah, we just want to know, would you like to come? And I looked at her and then paid attention to the road again. And I think we're driving through Bakersfield, heading up north towards Sacramento. Yeah, I know and, exactly where that is. Yep, just on five. And so she goes, we just want to know if you want to go. And I just looked at her with a little smile that turned to a, a little tight-lipped grimace, and I said, I'll think about it. 
And the actual reason was my pride. I wanted to be the one to say, look, I've been involved with a group of people and they've been praying for people and I've never seen anything like this outside a little house at a prairie. (laughs) But I mean, this is the real deal, the real thing. And uh, I mean, they they were kind of like kneeling down, taking a knee, praying for people that that they would make it through the class and marriages would stay together and nobody, no physical harm would come to people and uh, while they're going through the, the courses. And, and I said, I think we need something like this in our life. I wanted to say all that, but I wanted to be the first one to say it, you know, because I was a recruiter and Mr. <laughs> Wonderful and all the stuff that just makes people sick. And, but it's the only life that I knew. And I wanted to be the one to, to, to lead and be that leader on that. But she beat me to it because she because was much more insisted. spiritual than me. <laughs> no, because and you so, insisted of me going first. <laughs> and so, you know, I so we were quiet for the next five hours of driving home. But the next day, I come home from work. And it's about five o'clock. And, uh, you know, I'm still in my uniform. I kick back, relax a little bit. And now it's about six o'clock and, and there's this roast in the oven and the, the house is exceptionally clean and the kids are all kind of dressed up a little nice. bit. I see like, where this is going. I just kind of went like, what's, I need to leave a little bit more often. I mean, check this out. I mean, and whatever she's cooking was the bomb. I mean, it was just like, yum. And all of a sudden I just hear this knock on the door and I open up the door and here's this kind of distinguished looking guy. And his wife standing in the doorway. And I went, okay, this is different. And uh, because there's no door-to-door solicitation on a base. Yep. And we were living on a base. So I thought, and nobody dresses in a suit, you know, on a base, you know, yeah. uh, especially my age. Nobody's going to, nobody who is probably my age at that time has seen somebody as young as we were. I thought, okay, he doesn't look like a base commander, but I said, can I help you? And he goes, my name is Pastor Dan Rogers from... Uh, Bible Fellowship Baptist Church right outside the gate here on the base. And, uh, you know, are you Mike Dimmick? So immediately I reached for my wallet. And I opened up my wallet. I said, I am. What are we giving to? I didn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what to do. I never heard of visitation. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's that? You know? Yeah. And so I thought we were giving to a charity for kids or something like that yeah you're like all right so i go here how much can i give you for so you can get out of here yeah (laughs) kind of right like okay well here you go you know and do i have to buy a magazine prescription prescription anything but all of a sudden i look down the hallway and i hear my wife and she's got this little you know three finger wave four finger little wave and she goes hi pastor and the pastor goes i think we're supposed to be here for dinner and i said (laughs) oops you what (laughs) and my wife's just smiling and I kind of looked at her and I pointed my two fingers at my eyes and her eyes and said, you and me are going to talk when this is all over. We are going to talk about, you set me up. You know, I'm going back south again, eight hours away for another nine weeks. And so we had a, just a great time, I guess, sitting down talking a little bit. But as we get a little bit more serious, there was just something that was just crazy in the room in... Uh, we define, ate, define we crazy. The, well, we ate the meal, ate you the know, meal and, and he's thinking, you know, okay, it's time you for gotta you go. to go. You got to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I said, so what do you do, Pastor? I No, I didn't even call him Pastor. I, I would not give him the, the respect. Respect of the title. 
I wouldn't do it. Not in my house. It's just pride, right? But I didn't know what that was. And so I said, so what do you do, Dan? And he goes, well, these are the things I do. And he starts naming some things. And so I'm kind of looking at my watch saying, well, it's getting late. I guess you got to go do a hospital visit or go tell somebody about the story, right? And so he stares at me like, is this real? And I don't normally talk like that. And so even my, my no, kids are looking at me No, he's usually very kind. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a good guy, folks. I'm a good guy. But, you know, my kids are looking at me going, Dad, why are you being like this? And I wanted to, my nonverbal was, I don't know. It's just coming out of me. You know? It's just pretty funny. So uh, Dan looked at his wife, and there was a moment of silence, and my wife goes, coffee, anybody? And I looked at my wife, and I went... <laughs> Back to the two fingers of your eyes. Yes. <laughs> well, here's the deal. I went, there was no Starbucks back then. I went coffee you don't even know how to make coffee <laughs> we didn't drink and then I coffee said, we don't drink coffee <laughs> not that there was anything bad but it just wasn't in our life at that time yeah. and I said what are you going to give them Sanka <laughs> I mean just we didn't it's have still, coffee in our life. there's listeners now that don't even know what Sanka is I, I, exactly that was like coffee. that was an inside joke <laughs> for some of you <laughs> yeah you pour it into hot water and it makes yeah, you actually eat the grounds pretty much that's pretty much what it was man yeah. it made good flavoring for cookies uh, and things yeah, but, uh, and for GI doctors with cancer right? <laughs> yes yes and so I just thought oh, we didn't have coffee I don't think I had, ever had a cup of coffee and so but my wife's eyes were looking at the pastor like please say yes Please say yes. My husband's a good guy, and I don't know what the deal is right here, but please say yes. Don't give up on him. And it was just a beautiful thing because the pastor said, Maria, I would love a cup of coffee. And I thought, I got to see this. (laughs) I got to see this. I mean... What you know? We're gonna get some chocolate meal out here, <laughs> some hot chocolate or, or something. You know, I mean, how are you gonna make coffee? But you know what? I think we could have fed the pastor mud and he would have drank it. Yeah, yeah. and that's just how his heart was. Yeah. And so, focus on the important mission. Absolutely, yeah. I, that was my first look of ministry, but I wanted to deny it. And so, all of a sudden, my wife goes. Well, let's just put you guys over here on the couch. Matter of fact, it was this couch, I think. And we were sitting... <laughs> that's scary. That's As we tell everybody how old these couches are. Right. Uh, you know, so... But we were and just, sitting- you know, couches are very personal. They my are. kid, we bought a couch when we were first married and had my son. And he says to this day, he's like, I don't care if I'm in college. I don't care if it's my first he apartment. This is my couch. That's it. This section... I mean, Johnny, most first apartments won't fit this section. Oh, yeah. And he's like, it's mine. All my kids learn how to jump and fall off and break their legs. Yeah. <laughs> There's something special about a good couch. Yeah. All right, but go on. My go. wife puts us down on the couch, and here I am stuffing pillows between him and me, and my kids are sitting like four little Indians about four feet in front of our knees, right? And you're like, what is going on here? And I'm thinking, what is the deal? <laughs> what is happening? And uh, this is, I'm kind of looking around like the old days for candid camera. Where's that camera at? You know, like the days before security systems. Like, why is everything so perfect here? And the wife is sitting down on the love seat with my wife as they bring the little tray in and she's making this coffee, you know. And, and did you make it or did she help you? I got to ask. <laughs> she helped me. She helped yeah. her. <laughs> the magic behind yeah, the curtain. They, they were coffee drinkers. <laughs> so... <laughs> you know, we sat down, 
And so the pastor said this. He goes, so Mike, tell me about your relationship with God. And I said, oh, me and God are like this. And I crossed my fingers. And I used to be able to cross them. And I like but, you know, I said, we're like this. And, and I started telling him, you know, just a, a story or two and just how, you know, only by God that, that I'm still here. And, and so he, he goes, Mike, that's a real interesting story. Can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And he goes, do you remember when the Thunderbirds crashed? And I said, and the Thunderbirds are the Air Force's aerodynamic team. The Blue Angel team. version of the Air I mean, yes. uh, like the Blue Angels, right? And so I said, yeah. And he said, tell me about it. And I said, well, the team was flying in formation, and the leader made a miscalculation and caused them to crash. And, and I'm kind of doing the hand signal, you know, like making believe they're planes. And mm. so I said, what about it, Dan? What about it? And he goes, well, Mike, it's obvious looking at you, he said, in your uniform. He said that you're a leader and your wife and your kids love you and would follow you anywhere. And I said, I believe that to be true, Dan. What about it? And he goes, well, I just have one question to ask you. He goes, which way are you taking your family? And he makes his hands like they're airplanes, you know, and he points like towards the ceiling, towards the sky. He goes, are you taking them this way? And then he takes his hands and points them down towards the floor. And he said, or are you taking them this way? Wow. Talking about sober. Up or down? Down. And so before I could say any smart aleck type reply to him, my nine-year-old daughter looks at me and goes, which way are you taking us, daddy? You're taking us like this, huh? And she starts pointing towards the ceiling. And and what, the nine-year-old is your oldest at that point? Was, that was Cynthia. Cynthia. Yeah. Oh, Cynthia, so you're the third. Cynthia. Yeah, the third. Wow. Which way are you taking us? Are you taking us like up or down? Right? And so all of a sudden, all the joking and everything stops, right? And I'm looking at her, and the big lump comes up into my throat. And I could have just... <coughs> just kind of blew her off and just said, don't worry about it. I'm taking guys like this and it's time for these guys to go. Mm-hmm. But it was very evident to me that there was a spiritual battle right there in my home. And I didn't even know what that was. I think if God would allow me to have a spiritual glasses, I would have seen the battle. If I could have had spiritual hearing aids, I would have, hear, I would have heard the battle for our souls. All that uncharacteristic stuff Absolutely. that was coming out of you? Absolutely. That was the flesh versus all spirit. Of that, all of that. It was just one of those, you know, and I just say this, you know, God just reaching his hand up through my bowels and working me like a hand puppet. Mm-hmm. Working me like a hand puppet. And so the things that I was saying, the sarcasm and all that, that, that was very uncharacteristic of me. It was just kind of, uh, which I believe being a pastor now, what was really going on was, you know, uh, Get rid of this guy. Get rid of his wife. Get him out of your house. Your life is good. You got a beautiful wife. You got four beautiful kids. You're living right here in a great area. Get rid of this guy. You don't need him. You don't need them. And you certainly don't need him pointing towards Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but I luckily I, I didn't see that, but it all came to fruition as I sat there going, I'm taking you guys like this. And, then and just so you know, for the listeners, he's pointing down. I'm pointing down, like, yeah, towards the floor. And I said, and I don't know what to do. And May I interrupt just for sure. a second? Because 
sometimes we say things and we don't realize it, but you said God was working you as a puppet. Thank you. But yeah. you meant Satan. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I married her. Yes, I caught that too, and <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you. No, no, Thank no, no, you. no. You, no see? Well, and that's why I married her. For She's the listeners, right if you are listening and you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior and you're searching for truth, or maybe you didn't consider it, you're just listening for a cool story, before we trust Christ, God gives us free will, and yes. we can make a choice. Absolutely. But Satan doesn't want us to make the right choice. Mm -hmm. Misery likes company, and he knows his fate's an eternity burning. So he was inside of us all at mm -hmm. one point, yes. and he's the one making bad ideas sound good, mm -hmm. and short-term pleasures, which are long-term disasters, seem like the right choice when they're really a lie. So Mike was saying the control mm -hmm. was from Satan. He just misspoke, which yeah, we all did. Thank you. Yeah. So hey, good catch. Thank you. So finish, finish this. <coughs> that's my wife. She's right there. I mean, that's... Great catch, good call, and but yeah, it was just Satan working me like a hand puppet, and and so when I said I don't know what to do, the pastor got off my couch, he stood up, and then he knelt down right in front of me, and he goes, Mike Dimmick, before you can go up, and he points towards the ceiling, he said you need to come down, and he points towards the floor, and he goes you need to get off your pride, your arrogance, your ego. And you need to humble yourself. And it was so perfect. I couldn't argue, even though I wanted to throw them out of my house. Your kids are watching you. They're watching me <laughs> yeah. like, what's dad going to do on this one? <laughs> More Sanka, please. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it was everything he said. I couldn't argue with it. And I just, like, roger that. It, 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 that's, it's so true. And I knelt down next to him, and I said, I don't know what to do. And I'll never forget this. He goes, if you were on an ocean liner and you fell overboard, what would you be doing? And I said, I'd be swimming. And he goes, Mike, you're 500 miles out, so you're not going to swim that far to land. Yeah, no human can, even the greatest. And he says, so what would you be doing? And I said, I'd be screaming. And he goes, okay. The captain comes over, leans over the rail, and he says, Mike Dimmick. I see you and I hear you, but what do you really want me to do, Mike? Big pause, right? And I went, oh. and he goes, two words, Mike. What do you really want him to do? And I'm looking at him. I'm looking at my wife, my kids, like, two words. Get me out of here is not two words. <laughs> but he goes, two words, Mike. And I went, save me. Never heard that before. Never in any kind of religious context, mm -hmm. right? And he goes, well, the captain's right here. Why don't you ask him to do it? And so I looked at him, and then just, I mean, just the heart of a pastor. He just... Of a true pastor. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> I don't want to say it. Not every pastor is a good pastor. <laughs> yeah, um, but just the heart of a pastor that, who I tried to emulate many times in, in my ministry now, where... He could have walked out and said, I don't need this jerk. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. He stayed to the stuff. And he said, uh, Mike, it was like this. He goes, you're the type of guy that I need to show you from a book. If I tell you this is what I think or whatnot, you're probably not going to believe. But if I can tell you and show you what, it, what God's word says, you're going to believe it. And I said, yeah. 
And, you know, it's kind of like, can God lie? I went, no. And he's, that's right. Otherwise, he can't be holy. So why don't I just stick to this? And right there, he took me through some passages that came out of the book of Romans. And, and it started off with uh, Romans 3.10, where he said, as it is written, and he points right here in God's word. He goes, Mike, as it is written, where? where? And he, in the Bible, that he pulled out of his little, <laughs> little jacket pocket, right? He goes, as it's written right here in God's word, it says this. There's none righteous, no, not one, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And he goes, you know what that means? And, uh, you know, I thought I was a pretty smart guy. I made it to fourth grade. And uh, so <laughs> I went, yeah, nobody's good enough to go to heaven by themselves. You know, and there was no kind of Bible training in me or anything like that. But it was just a common sense thing. What that says, yeah, is nobody's good enough to do it by themselves. And then he goes, do you know why? And there was no more joking now. This was, this was a very serious for me. So there was no more sarcasm. That was all gone now. Mm-hmm. It was nothing but humility. And I went, uh, because of sin. And he goes, do you know where your sin came from? I didn't. I did not know how to answer that. You know, doing wrong things. You know, and, but I did not know how to really answer it the way that he was looking for. So he showed me. And he just says, here's a verse, Romans 5.12. And he goes, wherefore, by one man, sin came into the world and death by sin. And so death has passed upon all men because all of us are sinners. And he goes, who do you think that one man was? And I looked at him, big pause. And he goes, well, Mike, you don't look like a monkey to me. (laughs) So who do you think you came from? And I went, Adam? (laughs) Question mark? Adam? You know? And he's saying it's in front of my kids, so it's like the big gulp here. I better get this right. (laughs) And so he goes, yeah. And then he said, from Adam. And you have what's called that Adamic sin nature in you, that your parents never had to tell you to be bad. You're going to be bad. They always have to tell you to be what? I said, be good. Right. Mm -hmm. So, And I just loved how he did it, where he never put me on the spot. He would just explain to me, took his time with me. And then he goes, okay. And he goes, let me just show you another verse. And at Romans 6, 23, and he goes, and the first half of this verse says this, and the wages of sin. And I never heard any of this before. Mm-hmm. Ever, 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 ever. If it, wasn't, the Bible. if it wasn't in the Ten Commandments, I didn't know it. Nope. You know, in the movie. Watching the movie. <laughs> and to the listeners, Mike and Marie are talking about one specific section of the Bible, and this is how God used that pastor to lead them. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about the Bible is... Cover to cover, it's the same story. Absolutely. So it's not just one book. It's Mm -mm. different men and women Mm -hmm. over years speaking different languages and was brought together. The message is unified and consistent, 100% truth. I I put my life on it. You can put a gun to my head. No question it's real. So what Mike's talking about is he used the pastor using the book of Romans, Mm -hmm. and it's a great book. It's actually called The Romans Road to Salvation. Yep. And, and it was written to horrible people like me because yeah. my, my background, right? It was written to the Romans. Uh, that was the most of my lineage. And we have some really good characteristics, yeah. but we also crucified Jesus. So yeah. you need that book. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, once he said that, he goes, well, Mike, let me just show you something. He says, the wages of your sin is what? And he pointed to the word and I went, death. Mm-hmm. He goes, because you're a sinner, you have to die. Do you understand that? It was perfectly clear. Yes. And he goes, but let me just tell you something else. And it was kind of like, 
the gospel is called the good news, and here's the good news. He said, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So he goes, Mike, the gift of God is you can live forever with Jesus Christ. And so, you know, do you understand that? And I did. You know, it had to be true because it was written right there, right? But I understand that. Still no life application on it yet, but I, everything he was saying, I understood it. Mm-hmm. So he goes, okay. Then he just said this. He goes, so you might be asking, so how do I get the life? And I went, yeah. And he goes, well, then he took me to Romans 5, 8. For God committed his love for us, that even though we're sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand that? And I just loved how he did it, where even though my whole family's watching, he never embarrassed me. Mm. He never put me on the spot. He handled me perfectly, with respect, with dignity, with care. And so then he goes, let me just show you this. And then he took me towards the end, Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, that it just said, if you believe that Jesus Christ died, buried, and resurrected, you could be saved. And uh, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made. Now, I love what he said. With the mouth, confession is made to who? And I said, to salvation. He goes, and who do you think gives you salvation? God. Mm-hmm. So he goes, you don't have to tell me anything. With your mouth, confession is made to him, not to me. And he goes, do you understand that? And I said, I do. And he pointed to verse 13. And what's that say? And here I am reading it like a, a, a second grader. And who shall ever shall believe in him shall be saved. I, I want to get every word right. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's it. You got it. So what do you think you need to do? And I looked at him like, uh, and confess with my mouth. And I'm looking at him. Now, if any other person, I just love what he said. He goes, inclusively, everything you've ever done wrong, what would you call it? And I said, sin. And he goes, let's just keep it like that. That was so good. Because what if I had been in this or that or this or that? Mm -hmm. I would have thought I'd have to say it all right in front of in the room. Mm -hmm. He goes, let's just call it that. So good. Absolutely so good. And so he kind of put his head on my shoulder. I put my lean against it in his shoulder. And he said, if you were on a telephone talking to him, what would you say? And I just said, I'm sorry. And he goes, sorry for what? I said, my sins. And he just kind of led me that way. And I asked you to forgive my sins. I asked you to save me. And so when it was done, then he prayed. And I looked at him. I said, did I do it? (laughs) I didn't know how to answer this, right? I mean... So I looked at him and I said, did I do it? Mm-hmm. You know? And and now all the emotions were flying through me because this was the first time I was ever presented with a true path to heaven. And have it, I'd never heard it before. I thought <laughs> I could just wear a cross or get a tattoo or carry something in my hand or do whatever. But here was the path from a book that I'd never heard before. And so, so now my eyes were big. And for the first time, I called him pastor. Man. No more Dan. It was, and then I went like this. I went, Pastor, and I pointed to my wife. And was that conscious or was that natural? Like, did you consciously think to make the change or did it just no, come out of it you? It just came right out. The, your change soul. The pride was broke. Yeah. Yeah. And like Paul said, Behold, I become a new creature in Christ Jesus. I became that new creature right on the spot because I called him Pastor. And you didn't even know Didn't consciously. Even know 
the the term pastor, the no, shepherd. You no no background with no, that term. It was nothing. just t- what God put in you. Him nothing, and it was so awesome. The love and the respect was instantaneous right there. The humility, but I remember I said, Pastor, I said, save my wife. Yes. I didn't know how that worked. Right? I was just going to say, Connie, pick up there. Yeah. You're watching this happen. So you've been going to church. You've been taking your kids. Yeah. They're sitting there like that's mm-hmm. on the probably the edge of their little bottoms right. leaning forward. And you hadn't trust Christ at this point either, but you've been hearing it. So what right. goes on in your right. life at this point? Well, you know, watching everything that was going on, of course, you know, I'm not. I'm not a great smart person, but I'm no dummy either. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait a minute, sure. you know, I I have never been saved, mm-hmm. you know. So we got saved there with our four children right in front of us. All of us prayed as he did. But it was All so funny us. because when I said, Pastor, save my wife, right? He said, no, sir. And I went, what? And I started swelling up like, what? <laughs> and he goes, Mike. And he puts his hand like those airplanes. And he takes his two hands and he points towards the ceiling and he goes, lead her. Lead her. Man. And so I reached out my hand to her. She knelt down next to me. And it was, okay, you're on an ocean liner. You fell overboard. I just said exactly what he told me. And she already heard it too. But you know what's so good about this (laughs) is that you don't have to have a Bible degree or anything because within two minutes of being saved, I was sharing the gospel. Yeah. Within two minutes of being saved with no, all I have to do is just tell the story that happened to me. And can I stop you guys? We've used this term about 37 times. You keep saying saved. What does that mean? What are you being saved from? Yeah, great question. Uh, saved from my soul going to hell. You know, so that's what it means. And what's hell? Say from, you know, there's heaven and there's hell and, you know, where Christ lives and where Christ doesn't live. And so that eternal separation from him and the eternal life for him. And I'm saved from going to that place of damnation. Nobody likes to talk about that. Jesus talked about hell more than heaven. Absolutely. Did. Talk. So when people are hearing this, nobody wants to hear it because they want to avoid the facts. Yeah. It's like knowing you might have a disease, but you don't want the doctor to get tested. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening now, we're not saying this because we want to convert you to a religion. Right. We want to love you to an eternity right. of peace and joy. So let's get the real picture. Describe hell. Yeah. I mean, it's a place of suffering. Mm-hmm. It's a place of constant, constant torment, never stopping, never having a break. You don't get a day off. It's a place of loneliness and bitterness and just constant pain because you will burn, you will suffer forever and ever and ever and never ending. And God... Does not want this for us. No. He says in his word that he is not willing that anybody should perish and go to this place. And that's why he sent Jesus to save all of us, to give us that choice, that choice to to receive eternity in, in love and not go to hell in suffering for eternity. I'll never forget 
I will never forget this. Hey, just so you know, we're not, <laughs> we are not laughing at the subject matter. No. We're laughing because Mike is thinking and he's rubbing the table. So if you just heard a weird noise, yeah, that's that weird. was Mike's or Connie that, grabbed that, his that. hand. And my wife just, <laughs> stop it, stop fidgeting. We're like breaking this intense moment. but that, That's right. But listen, so. This is living room talk. <laughs> so when you have this realistic hell mm-hmm. and it's forever and ever, God's the father and he sent Jesus, his son, who's mm-hmm. essentially our brother. Right. Yes. And he does not, he did not have to die for us. No. Right. But he literally, he could have blinked his eyes and wiped the cosmos sure. away. Exactly. Literally, he has all the power mm-hmm. in what we call the universe and beyond, mm-hmm. right? But Jesus came down, mm-hmm. loved yes. us, sure. died for us, he was humiliated for us, was punished for us. And, and if you haven't read, we'll show you in the Bible, right, Mike, right, Connie, right, myself. Yeah. We'll show you the scriptures of where this happened, just like Mike said. Mm-hmm. Don't believe us. Believe Read the it. word of God. Read it for yes. You know, you want to know what hell is? We can show you out of the Bible what hell is. It describes it. Where the worm dieth not, where the fire mm-hmm. is not quenched. Well, you shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's right. And mm-hmm. you can taste, you can touch, you can see, you can hear, you can feel, you can you're remember. Alive. Yeah. You're alive, alive but burning. And yes. if you've ever just burned your hand mm-hmm. or burned part of your body and that just stings, can you imagine constant real flame? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're saying. We're not putting these episodes together to entertain you. We're putting them in to love you, to help you know God, to help you grow. And so you can have that joy and peace. And a lot of people try to shape the Bible to meet their needs. And yes. I'll tell people, where's your home Bible? If they have one, why don't you just rip this page out? Why don't you just rip this page out? Yeah, redact this section yeah, here. Yeah, just rip it out, you know, and then you can make them your way, like Burger King. Make them your way, you know? And so, but nobody will rip pages out of the Bible. Why? Because they know there's truth to this. But I'll never forget my wife. I will never forget this. She said one of the most, the greatest illustration about a year ago, we had a young Marine come to the church and we were talking about salvation. And uh, he said, well... I'm not sure if I want to accept Christ as my Savior. And, and what it boiled down to was, it was, well, what did you, you told him? He he had prayed the day before to receive Christ, or the Sunday before to receive Christ, and was very excited and very happy. But then he went home and he talked to his parents, and his parents told him, well, you know, if if you're a Christian, then when we all die, you're not going to the same place we are going to go. And so when he came back Sunday, he said, I don't want to be a Christian. And so when we asked why, he said, because I don't want to go anywhere my parents will not be. So mm-hmm. my wife says this, and it was just amazing. She looked at him and just said, do you think for one second, because he said, I'd rather be in hell with my parents than to be in heaven away from them. Mm-hmm. So she said, do you think for one second that Satan would allow you to have joy in hell? If he knew that you spent an eternity in pain and suffering gave you joy because you're with your mom and dad, he would separate you from that. So you would never even see them. So don't think it would be the three of you huddling together. He would separate you because 
if he thought that it gave you joy, I'm willing to suffer with you. He would separate you so that you would never even know and never be there with you because that would give you comfort. And that's proven biblically in the story of rich man and Lazarus. It's exactly right. And his eyes opened up. But I'm just grateful for a wife that knows scripture and could apply it to this young man that completely opened his eyes and his heart. He should be with him forever, but all of them with Christ. (laughs) And that's just what I said to him. I said, you know, why would you want your parents to go to hell? I said, I can see that you adore them and you want to follow them. You want to be with them. But why in the world would you want them to go there? I said, but instead, as you have received Christ, then you have an opportunity to bring them to heaven with you. Mm-hmm. And there you will be together. And right then and there, he changed his mind again. And he said, I want to be a Christian. <laughs> but it was just a biblical truth that you spoke. Yeah. And, and you know what else? I'm thinking of the sower, the parable of the sower. Yeah. Absolutely. It talks about how when people hear the gospel, the good yes. news, right. it can fall upon stony ground. Right. It can be accepted, but then birds pluck it up. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, people, yes. exactly like that. Yes. The parents... There's other people who grow a little bit, then they get choked out by the world, and there's those who just trust Christ and move forward and endure mm-hmm. and grow. Mm-hmm. And we could be any one of those. It's, right. God gives us free will. Yes. But that's awesome. So let me, let me talk to you guys. I want you to have the ability to finish up any more thoughts you have, but this is the final episode of season one. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we have to do this, but I'm really feeling led right now to just stop the episode here because mm-hmm. you guys have an amazing story. And this is only mm-hmm. the tip of the iceberg that your life started at salvation, right. really. It, it, that's when it started. Yeah. So I'm thinking, would you like to come back on like we ended today, come back on in season two and then pick up your story there? Sure. All right. Is Now, so we're at the point of salvation. Mike, you've trusted Christ. Your Our hands going up in the air. Your lead, Maria. Mm-hmm. Connie, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Nimick. Yeah. Her, four, yeah. Other, four, other names by her, four other names by her Mexican life. No, but then your children. Let's talk about that briefly because that's that's the joy. I mean, to I can't, I don't want to speak for you or anybody else, but I'd say my biggest burden, I'm getting emotional, I can be careful. My biggest thing is my kids. Yes, All my absolutely. failures and what an idiot I am and how much are my kids absorb that instead of the good leadership, right? right? And I pray to God that they see God's love and goodness and not my mistakes. But your kids are watching you guys. How did that turn out? Well, of course, all of our kids got saved, you know. We were all baptized. We were all baptized. But that night, go back to that night, like after you led Maria, what happened there? Well, all of us actually prayed to receive Christ. Mm -hmm. And we were all just joyous, you know, we were all so happy, <laughs> all all six of us, yeah. you know, all six of us were just, couldn't believe it, you know, didn't really know what happened. You and that's know, fulfillment just, of scripture right there. It says, if you trust Christ, you and your house shall be saved. One of our daughters, that one that has to know exactly why. <coughs> Vanessa. <know>, she, yes. <laughs> she, uh, the week after, pastor began to preach on hell. Mm-hmm. And the horrors of hell, and so she coincidentally, said, not not that was just how oh, yeah. his message was. No, it wasn't it was like that's targeted. just yep. right. No, not at all, because we were already saved, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Vanessa said, when he preached about how horrible the suffering would be in hell, and how 
nonstop and eternal suffering it would be. Uh, she said she was convicted in her heart mm. that she had prayed so that she would not be uh, the odd man out, mm. <laughs> but that she didn't actually follow she what believed. everybody did. Well, yes. Actually, let me use it. She didn't trust. She didn't trust. Mm. Exactly. So she said that when he was preaching, she was con- convinced mm. of mm. what he had said prior. And so she said, we got in the car and daddy was driving and I was praying the whole time, Lord, please don't kill us by accident. You know, let me go home. And so she said, as soon as he turned the car off, she said, the door opened. I ran in my bedroom. I knelt down by my bed and I asked God to save me. (laughs) So all of us were uh, saved and and baptized all at once Mm -hmm. um, a few weeks later. Yeah. What was so funny was, you know, there's no such thing as group salvation. No. It's your own individual decision yes. that you make. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not like, let's all get saved as a group. It doesn't happen. That's like not, that. yes. No, no. It, but I remember right after being saved, looking at my wife, looking at my kids, looking at the pastor. And I just said this. I said, you know, looking at my family, I said, guys, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this all the way. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I don't even know what that looks like. I have no idea how to do this or what it looks like. But I pointed my finger at the pastor's face. I said, but he does. <laughs> and I said, and we're just going to follow you and, you know, and just do whatever you tell us. And that's where we'll pick up next season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So it's a great story and it's even more intriguing and dynamic. Yes. And just to see the hand of God and Mike and Maria's life and their children Man, I thank you guys so much for this time. Oh, it's good to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thinking back, like, we'll take a break for a second. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything between birth and this point of life that you want to go back and address? I I would just like to say, you know, that every person that was ever born has a choice. We have a choice to to hear the word of God and and receive it, accept the fact that Jesus died for us while we hated him, and that he has a perfect plan for us. You know, not a perfect life, but a perfect plan for the future. And so I would say, remember that he is not willing that any of us should go suffer for eternity, but that he would rather that we came to live with him forever in joy. And I would like to say that of all the women in the world, God chose you for me. Hmm. And you were worth going to another country to go find and come back. And God let us take care of four beautiful children. And we've just made a vow. We've stayed together and working, you know, for him. And I just know that I know God's real because he gave me you. And like how you corrected me on that story. You never let me walk out with my fly down. <laughs> you know, <it's> always, <laughs> you're always eyes, ears, 
And I'm just grateful for that, that he's just given me the perfect health meat, as they say in the Bible, the perfect person to keep, to always point me to righteousness of all the people it could have been. He chose you. And, and I didn't even know who he was, but I could just see his hand in our life. Yes. And so I'm good thing the radio can't see this or, and a web can't see this, but mm, you can hear that. <laughs> yeah. And I can attest from the outside watching you guys, it's dead on. And I mean, you've always lovingly, it's never been like that bitter two-faced correction. It's mm-hmm. always been like iron sharpened and found and help me proper biblical balance. So thank you for showing that to me and my family. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're certainly not perfect in any way. Oh, no. Well, that'll be episode love. three, all your failures. <laughs> <laughs> that may take four, five, and six. <laughs> we're just summarizing bullet points. But God does bring love into your life in, 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 a, in a way that you can't deny it. Amen. Yeah. And listen, as a listener, thank you for being here this season. Thank you for being here this episode. Yes. But what's really cool is we always say the slogan for the Remarkable People podcast is listen, do, repeat for life. And I'm getting seriously warm and emotional right now because this episode, we didn't have yet in their second part of the story, we're going to have this, but we usually have what did they face and the practical steps of how they overcame it. So we say, listen to the episode, do, and then repeat so you have life, and so you have a good life, and do it for life. But this episode, you heard how to trust Christ, how to have joy and peace for eternity, how to avoid an eternal torment in hell. Listen to that. Do it. Trust Christ If you have questions, I'm going to put links in the show notes to Mike and Maria for the ladies, me, who we're going to put links to the plan of salvation through Mike's church, all of Baptist church, great church. But at the end of the day, we're all doing here for you. We love you. God loves you. And if you're going to listen and do one thing, man, trust Christ as your savior. And you never have to repeat that. That's the one thing you don't have. You have to make good choices and we have to keep ourselves clean each day. But that doesn't change your salvation. So listen, we love you. Thank you, Mike and Maria, for being part of this episode. Yeah. Thank you. As a listener, we love you. Thank you for being part of this episode. It's been a great first season. We got, you know, at least one episode coming up in season two now. Can't wait to have you. Hopefully we'll have more changes that are going to benefit and continuing to make it easier to listen to and more enjoyable. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Contact us if you need anything. You go to davidpascalone.com forward slash RPP for Remarkable People Podcast. Find this episode 19. There'll be a contact us in the show notes. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you can look in those show notes or any of the directories out there. And if we can help, let us. So any final words to the listeners before we go? No, we want to love you. If you are in any uh, spiritual need and we are able to, to point you in the right direction, we are here. We are here for you to share Christ with you, to share the, the reason why we have a worthwhile life. And that is Christ and only Christ. Amen.
And she makes some amazing Mexican food, so <laughs> come on by. That's true. All right. That is so true. I, I didn't even like Mexican until I met you. Not Mexican people, Mexican food. All right. So this is Dave with the Remarkable People Podcast, Season 1, Episode 19, The Mike and Maria Dimmick Story, Part 1. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life.